The views, information or opinions expressed during the Journey podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and does not represent Wise Words Imaging or any other company. Wise Words Imaging is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy. Any of the information contained in the podcast series is available from the respective owner. Enjoy the show. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain that. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimal relationship. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. overcame suicidal thoughts through deliberating depression. He has now completed 21 marathons for mental health awareness and has earned a doctorate. Welcome, Jim Shubrak. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. How are you today? I'm good. Now, before I started recording, I will start on this because mm-hmm. I will use the example what we had as a good film example. But mm-hmm. you're saying about your dog that you have in your picture, which I might mm-hmm. use the picture for the podcast. Oh, by all means, please do so. Explain about your dog. Well, we have, 
we actually have three dogs now, but I, I want to, if I could, I, there's one I want to talk about beforehand. And his name was Sonny and, and, and Sonny was a golden retriever. Now we have three chihuahuas, but Sonny, who he's passed away, unfortunately about, uh, it was about 10 years ago. But uh, when I was going through depression, dogs have a sixth sense. And I think cats do too. And, and he could tell I wasn't being myself and he would come up to me and almost put his nose right in my face, but not in a bad way. He was just, he, he knew he could get me to laugh. He knew he could get me to smile. And he knew it's like, I need to go for a walk. And even though you don't want to get up, I'm going to make you take me for a walk or better yet, I'm going to take you for a walk. Meaning Sonny was going to take me for a walk because he knew I needed to get up. So really that he, and I'll always be an advocate for, dogs, for rescue dogs, for rescue cats. But that being said, he, he was, oh, I call him St. Sonny because he was just that beneficial to me taking that first step in overcoming depression and just before I even knew how it that how I felt had a name he kind of was like my little angel actually was a big angel because he's about 100 pounds but (laughs) but still but you know Sonny was one I mean great and you know when he passed away we wound up getting um we had all this love for a dog but no dog to give it to and then you know we slowly but surely become a zoo if you will my wife and I like because we have the three dogs and now we have a cat um you know the one that's in the in the profile photo that we are talking about David uh, snitches he was the one I will never call him a replacement dog for Sonny because you can't replace the dog but at the same time he was just the right dog in the right place at the right time and and they say like the sometimes the smallest things in the world take up the biggest spot in your heart and as a five pound chihuahua, he's definitely small, but he does take up a big spot in my heart. And yeah. we, we got to know the chihuahua breed and, and we've, Stitches was a store-bought dog. And, but since then we found out a lot about what goes on with breeding. So we've, we've rescued our other two, uh, Sadie and Stuart, and they are wonderful. I mean, wonderful. And our cats are a rescue too. Um, but she's been here before the dogs were. But just, <laughs> they, just, they, just they, they can sense, even because I still have anxiety today. You might even notice in some of my facial expressions, I don't, it just happens. And, but the dogs sense it and they'll lay on my lap and it's just like, it gets me to relax. I mean, they're wonderful. Like all the, the treats they get, all the, the, the food they get, because they do get really the best food possible from us. They deserve it because they're just yeah. that awesome, you know. It's like, um, I will use this example now, a couple of years ago when I first came to America, my I thought I always had like the, you know, rats, you know, fancy rats, you know, and my mum when I was growing up had a rat and I said to my wife, let's get a rat. Now, obviously, she was new to having rats and she thought, you know, our we're tears, you get hesitant. But we got this fact, we named it Cosmo after the Cosmos and after Carl Sagan, but mm-hmm. he was a pure white rat and nothing wrong with him. But, no. the thing, but the funny thing is, he was so understanding. When he was down, he knew he yeah. was always looking at you. He was always looking at Melissa, you know. So the fact is, you know, we had a pet that understood us even though he was small he understood us mm-hmm. yeah like even i i totally understand because like i was t- like david before when i said even about my passing my uh my uh 
my dissertation. You have to go in front of a committee. And it, it, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's stressful. I mean, if I wasn't bald before then, I'd be bald after it, you know. So mm-hmm. um, that being said, though, like snitches, that he, he could sense it. He wanted me to pick him up. He laid on my lap. And because now with COVID, we're defending through the through zoom kind of like the way i'm talking to you now but he could sense it and he just laid on my lap the whole time and it was he was like a little comfort blanket you know even uh, even my cat um you know dude do we call her really do or the dude stir we call her. but she um you know if i'm ever having like just a lot of anxiety and i need to be away from the dogs just because maybe they're a little bit too much she'll mm. lay right next to me and you know like cats will need you they give you a little massage whatever but i call it like needing she'll do that and she'll lay right next to me and it's just like all your cares go away. I mean, they're they're really angels in fur as far as I'm concerned. Mm. So going back now, way, way, way back, do you know what made your anxiety, depression come along? I know it's personal, but do you know the triggers that made it happen? That's a really good question, David. No, I'm, I'm totally fine with speaking. Um, it was about 20 years ago, and this is... I'm not sure, but I'm, this is what I've spoken to at my doctors and they've kind of said it could be this, it could be this. And, you know, only God himself really knows in my opinion, but I also have epilepsy. I have a seizure condition. So there's already been a pre-existing chemical imbalance. If you, I had my first seizure when I was uh, 13 and honestly, it should have killed me because I was turning blue. My brother just happened to be there. He's yelling at my dad, like, dad, Jim's something's wrong with Jim. He's shaking. And, you know, like we have no history of, of epilepsy in my family. So I was the chosen one. So um, I've had a couple seizures, but I haven't had one knock on wood in over 20 years. I take medicine for it. And that's part of the reason why I'm bald. But the uh, the doctors think it could be potentially uh, something with that, um, that, I, that it could have just crept back in. Um, it could have been situational. Like at that moment in time, I was actually a youth leader at my church and I absolutely loved the position. I loved it. But at that time, I felt almost like I was burned out to a degree. Um, like there was other things I wanted to do with my life. And as much as I loved what I did financially and career wise, it was just something like I'm supposed to do something else. And I think it could have been a factor, multi-factor of, of maybe some of that. And again, that's just my guess. And I guess from talking to like um, to my doctors, even just talking to a therapist that I saw Oh gosh, I want over 20 years ago, but these are just things that, you know, kind of came out like it could be this, it could be this because really with, uh, with depression, um, anxiety could be something that's situational, something that you may not even think of, but it could just be building up. And then before you know it, your body can only take so much and then you snap. And I don't mean snap as far as like wanting to hit someone, but snap as far as, you know, the, um, just the chemistry in your brain per se, like the, it just becomes, potentially chemical imbalance due to that. Yeah, I understand that. So do you ever remember when you was in the midst of depression, do you ever remember how you felt or was it just a block in your mind? That's that's a good question too. Um, I will tell you this, the, the seconds felt like minutes, the minutes felt like hours, the hours felt like days, the day, like it was just the never ending day. Like like I'm talking to you now and maybe like even my day leading up to this point in time feels just like a regular day. But when you're going through depression, for me, at least it felt like it was just a never ending day. It just kept going on and on. And, and then when I would finally get to the nighttime, it was like, Oh, thank God I can go to sleep. Cause I just don't want to be up, you know? And, and that's just, it was kind of like that. And, you know, really it, 
I, I had thoughts that were just like this, like I like almost suicidal thoughts where I'm this enough. Like I can't deal with this. This is not no. And because of the stigma that exists, it was like, I didn't even know how I felt had a name. And unfortunately what you see on TV, what you see, like, it might say like, well, this person's crazy. So they have to go to the wherever this and that. And if you don't understand the situation behind that person, what's going on that leads them to that point. So unfortunately the stigma kind of, I want to say really prevented me from, from any, but I didn't even know what I had. So it was kind of like, what do I have? Why am I feeling this way? So it was kind of, I didn't even know it was depression, if that makes any sense, because I didn't know how I felt had a name. Um, I had a friend, he's unfortunately passed away. He had a heart attack uh, about 10 years. He was an older, not that much older, but he was older. And he, um, he had depression himself. And he told me, he's like, hey, Jim, you're exhibiting some of these symptoms of depression. You know, like he had it and he said, take a look at it. And I remember the moment that he told me, and I looked, and I, his, I remember, Wendell Fredericks is his name, God rest his soul, he's a wonderful guy. But he, um, I looked, I must have looked at 10 different websites and every symptom, David, I had it. And then I looked at another site and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have every symptom. Like it was so happy because even though I was depressed, it wasn't, it was kind of like, I know what I have has a name and I know what I have can be attacked in a good way. Like I can do something about it now. So it was like in that respect, I was so, I think that was the happiest I'd been in a hundred days because of the fact that, wow, I know that I can go to a doctor. I know I can do something and I can do something about this and I can hopefully feel better. Hmm. I understand. Totally. So 100 days you had depression, anxiety. In that 100 days, did you have anyone there for you where they could understood you or did you want to be alone? Did you want to be kept to yourself or did you reach out for people? Well, um, you know, what happened, because I, I did work and I still worked as a, as my youth leader at my church. But see, in that career, it wasn't like, oh, you have to be in at seven in the morning and you leave it. I might be able to come in at two o'clock in the afternoon. And so it was almost the perfect position for me at that time, because honestly, there's times I wanted to sleep until 12 or I wanted to stay in bed till 12 or one o'clock. Um, and then it was like, all right, if it was a right, like I teach now, so it would, you know, that's seven I'm up about six in the morning. Well, there might be days that when I was depressed, I'm like, I'm not getting up at six in the morning. The heck with this, that's not going to happen. So I think a lot of times people didn't as much notice it. And, and from what I've read, it, it takes people about three or four months until they finally realize that you're not acting yourself, that you have some of these symptoms. So um, you know, my, my, like my parents were support, very supportive. My brother was supportive, but it's not as if like I necessarily reached out to them or anything like that. I mean, I did, you know, they, it, it's kind of tough because it, it's tougher for me to even think back to that. Um, because my parents and my brother have been always super supportive of me. I have some very close friends who are always very supportive of me. And it was more so once I, once I was diagnosed with the depression and they knew like, okay, now we need to know how can we support Jim? And then they were awesome. They've been amazing. Mm. And this was before my wife, because obviously she would have been super supportive. To, and she has been with everything that I've put her through with my, again, with, with going to my own, uh, my degree and, and, and just, you know, my marathon, she's been following me all over God's green earth with two or three dogs. We had two, then it's three, you know, and just to support me. So, like I have to definitely commend her but she 
came into the picture after, you know, so. Yeah. So she understood the, the after effect, not the stewing effect, as I always call it. Right. Yeah. So she came like afterwards, like we, we actually had met when we were in high school, a friend was trying to set us up and I only wanted to talk about soccer. And that was it. I was a senior and she was a freshman. Then we became reacquainted when 2006 it was. So I was probably about early 30s. She was about 30. I was about 32. And so we, it was like, oh, aren't you Jessica's friend? Blah, blah, blah. And we wound up going to, to dinner just to catch up. And before you know it, we were dating. And before you know it, we were dating longer. And before you know it, here's 10 years later. And we have a zoo of three dogs and one cat. And, you know, so, yeah, funny how life works that way. Yeah, it's like my story, and I will share it because I like sharing it, and I've always said it in every story I've told people. My story is I was in a position where I lived in England. I lived in a bad place, which I won't go into full details because I've got to respect the fact of most people, but I was in a place that I was not comfortable. I met my wife online through, you know, through social media, mm-hmm. and... It took me, you know, a year before I actually said, what about me coming out to meet you? She liked the idea, but I thought it was going to be like a year, two years. I don't know, because obviously Mm -hmm. I didn't have much money myself. But I said, let's meet. And she said, "Okay, come over. And, you know, within a think it was about, yeah, yeah. I was out visiting where I am now. Mm -hmm. And... I felt so comfortable. We classed ourselves as engaged, even though we didn't have rings or anything at the time. And I said, what about getting married? And she said, oh, okay, when? I said, whenever you want. And she said, let's see how easy it is. So I showed my passport and some other proof of who I was. And they said, you can get married now. We got the license, you know, to say that. And the funny thing is, I said, okay, let's get married. And the day we chose was her birthday. Okay. And oh, that's cool. So the blessing was it was her birthday, and it's a way of me not forgetting her birthday. <laughs> I so two excuses, really. But she was there for me when I was at my lowest, when I mm-hmm. was in England, when I was in that position where I lived, was not suitable. She knew that. She couldn't be there, but she knew she was there physically through FaceTime and that's what got me through it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, like I said, like I, I definitely had, you know, once, once I was diagnosed with depression myself, like my parents were very understanding of it. And, and I, they knew like if I needed space, I would say, look, I, I'm taking Sonny for a walk, but then, you know, like I, and, but Sonny would always give me space. You know, he just wanted dogs they just want to be loved and give love you know like that's you know the unconditional love like that's my dream to be the person that my dogs think that I am you know like really that's what it's on but I would go for a walk and I can remember a couple times even my dad just kind of going for a walk just to make sure like hey is he okay like because he was concerned and I can understand because if you know I have a niece who's 14 and if she would ever say you know being a similar suit I probably would do the same thing and I'd be like I'm, I'm just making sure you're okay Julian. that's all you know like so but once in a while once he realized I was going to be fine and they laid off you know like it was not laid off but like they were like he's good he just needs his space we don't you know like let him do his thing they then, know when you had to be supported and yeah I get that story. yeah yeah, and I had friends who who also did, and they also gave me opportunities to, um, 
how would I put it? When I when I wanted to talk about you know the depression, so they didn't try to fix it. Because honestly, that's, in my opinion, one of the worst things you can do is, oh, you need to do this, this is, no, it's like, no, don't tell me what I need to do. I want to just let me vent that, you know what I mean? And, and oftentimes, because I know people sometimes want to, to fix and it's like, oftentimes people, in my opinion, with depression, just want somebody to talk, somebody to listen, someone who, who cares. And if you, you know, I might say, what do you think about that? Like, is it, and then, then it's like, okay, now it's okay to chime in because the invitation is there. And I, and if you're trustworthy enough for me to talk to you, then there's a good chance that eventually I'm going to say, what do you think? Or, Hey, do you want to do something? And, and fortunately I had people who maybe not literally, but figuratively held me by the hands, like, Hey, let's go get some ice cream or let's go do this. Or let's go, you know, it might just be to get out of the house or just to go for a walk, you know, and and then, well, then the whole running thing, that is a <laughs> totally different thing aside from that. But yeah, so the support was was definitely there. It was just, I think for me at first, I was, the stigma again existed and I, I was nervous, maybe scared to talk about it, you know, depression, anxiety. Now I talk about it like the weather, like it's snowing out here where I'm at in the Pocono Mountains. And now I might talk to some, no, my anxiety's off today. Okay. Like, you know, like it's, it's, it's nothing that, you know, like I might interchange the two of them just, and, and I think for me, it's important because in that way people know, oh, he's, he's someone I can talk to about depression, anxiety, because he's not afraid to talk about it. So I'm okay with, you know, mentioning it to him. And, and I even say like, Hey, if you guys say something to me, like, that's fine. I know some people where I work that, they have anxiety and depression. And I check in with them just like, hey, how's it going? How's your depression doing? How's your anxiety? Because they know that I, you know, we, we share amongst each other. And I said, look, unless you tell me that you're looking to hurt yourself, then it's just a mutual sharing. Now, if you start to say, I'm starting to you know, want to do something in my life, then it's like, okay, we need to have a talk. Let's go. All right. Let's, let's go get you some help. But I haven't had that happen. But, um, but it's important, I think, just to have dialogue and have people that you really can be authentic with, you know, just be your authentic self as opposed to, you know, like I, I someone you can just talk about certain things with. So you've talked about being a Christian. Do you think listening to the Lord has helped you in this process as well? Because when you uh, pray to him, they say that prayer is often heard. Did you often think your prayers were being earthbound? Yeah, I, I guarantee they were. Now, um, this is like I prayed every single day. And I'll tell you exactly what I told them, David. I said, either take me as in take me to heaven. I, I don't want to be here anymore. Or please make me better. And I said, it's your choice. Whichever one you decide, I'm okay with. You know, but I said, I don't, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm not going like, to do it myself. But I said, whichever you decide, well, I, I'll never forget it, David, because I was laying on my parents' sofa, and I mean, I was at my worst. And when I tell you this, David, I'm going to first preface it by saying I've never used drugs. I've never, like, I rarely drink alcohol, but I had an out-of-body experience where I literally saw the Holy Family. And I, David, I swear to you on my grandmother's grave and my grandmother's was one of the greatest people that ever walked the earth. And I tell you, David, and I saw it, and I was scared out of my mind when I woke up, but I know what I saw in the corner. And it was, it was, they just staring, they just looked at me and they, it was just like a very calm feeling. Like it's going to be okay. Like we got this. 
Now, that being said, when I woke up, my heart was beating out of my chest. I went to sleep and every, every uh, um, stuffed animal I might have had over the last 15, 20 years, I was sleeping with them because <laughs> I, was, I, I literally had the fear of God. But when I tell you that, Dave, almost the next day after that, everything started to get better where my friend Wendell was like, hey, you know what? You're not acting yourself. You know, hey, go get you may want to go look into this depression thing. So it was almost kind of like that was my rock bottom the night before. And then when I when I saw what I saw, you know, it was just like things just got better. And it, they've been what fantastic ever since. You know, so I say that and, and I say that with again on the on the the crave of my grandmother, who again is one of the one, most wonderful people to walk this earth never used any illegal sort of drugs or anything like i was clear as day i saw right in the corner of the living room at my parents house and and i mean i pray pretty much every i try to read the bible daily it might be just a little bit what have you maybe during the course of the day i might say a little prayer i might be talking to god a little bit just like lead me in the right direction here because i don't you know because i'm definitely you know like any of us we have our own faults and I, you know, I'm definitely going to say, I'm definitely not a, a saint by any means. Um, even though two of the apostles were named St. James, but I was not one of them. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's important to kind of just go along that path, I think. And, you know, I, I find when I do, then I'm always better, you know, always, I feel better about myself and, you know, it, just honoring that second opportunity that I was given. And that's why, you know, fortunately people such as yourself were welcome, you know, who invite me on your show. And I've been interviewed by other media locally to my area who have given me the opportunity to speak out. Um, like, you know, I've had people who, who have come up to me and it's very humbling to say this, David, who said, I just want you to know, and by you talking about your depression, you saved my life because I felt the same way you did, but I didn't know how I felt, had a name. And as soon as you talked about how you felt, I looked it up and I was able to confirm I had it. And when you hear somebody say that to you, Dave, like that's incredibly humbling. And it's just like, oh my God, like, like that, that wasn't me. That was just God and, you know, working through me. That's the way I look at it. But at the same time, that proves to me what I'm doing is the right thing. And I have to continue that path. I yeah. choose to continue that path. Like <laughs> just, you know, it, it's not, you know, it's something that I, that I'm very passionate about. Mm. So then when you was out of your depression, you got the idea, the notion to do the marathons, the runs. Did that come first of all? Or did it take time thinking, okay, 10 days, a month, two months? Was it straight away or was it further down the line of recovery? Um, that, that, that's a very good question too. Did, um, what happened so, so originally when I found out about the endorphin rush and the runner's high, I'm sure, you know, if you've heard of this before, like the runner's high, I would go for just a walk for a mile and then I would feel pretty good. Like it used to be sunny and I would go for a walk. Well, then before, you know, here I am walking two miles, three miles, and then I would start to run. When I say run slow, very, very painfully slow, but I would still, and then I'm still painfully slow, but I would still go slow. And before you know it, I'm training for a 5K. I did a 5K and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, I, I like that. And I felt really good afterward. But, and, and I'm, I'm going to say, do as I say, not as I do with what I'm about to tell you, Dave. 
most people would say we go from a 5k to a 10k to a half marathon to a marathon that's really how you should do it that's the progression i went from a 5k straight to a marathon i please no one do that that's like but so i went from basically go 5k to a 42k so um not not in the next day but like it was i started training because i i just loved the way i felt when i ran it was like this is awesome. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is fantastic. Like, so I, I remember training, for, it was about a couple years after I um, overcame my depression. I started to train for one in Scranton, Pennsylvania called Steamtown Marathon. It's a great marathon um, up in that area. And I've done that one about five or six times now. But the first one, it's always the toughest one. I won't lie. When I was standing at the, at the starters line, this is before my wife and I were together. I mean, I could have literally gone to the bathroom at the starters line. I was that nervous. Like, I was like, oh, what am I thinking? What am I doing here? Like, and then when you finish, I was like, holy cow, I actually did it. And a lot of people, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm in the pain for a couple of days. <laughs> but then after the pain goes away, you're kind of, it, it's an addiction. Like, I was like, wow, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> and, but, but then before you knew it, I, I remember seeing myself, well, I've lost a hundred days of depression and I look at a marathon as getting a day back of my lost days of depression. Now, can I, can I really get that two lit days back? No, I can't, but figuratively. Yeah, sure. Why not? Because when you're doing a depression, you're, you're doing the marathon, that marathon, I look at as a day, but then the day within the day, it's almost like two days is how I see it. Um, and so that's why my end goal is a hundred. And I mean, I finished 21 so far. And again, I'm, I'm very slow. If you look at finishers times, just look at the last page, David, that's all you have to see the last page of finisher. You'll see my name somewhere there. Um, you know, my, my best time I think is five hours and 16, 18 minutes. But if you've ever seen a goalkeeper, the legs that a goalie has, that's my stature. My dad was a running back in football. He has the bigger calf muscles. I'm his son. I have bigger calf muscles. So I really don't have a runner's body. I have a sprinter's body. So God had other plans, <laughs> you know, so, but that's, that's kind of where it's at. Like it, you know, so I, I now unfortunately the last four years, I've kind of been on hiatus because of my studies. But before that I did um, four marathons in four months. Um, that was 2016. And then before that, I think it was 2014. I did three in three months. It was, it was three. It, yep. 2014. I did three in three months, but then 2016, I finished four in four months. It was just something that it was a goal of mine. I said, I like, I want to prove to people who are going through depression, who are going through, you know, some sort of mental, mental health challenges that you can do some pretty cool things. You just need to have faith in yourself, have faith in God, have faith in your friends, but you have to surround yourself with the right people too. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, you know, you're, you're only going to be, you're about the average of the five people you surround yourself with the most. And I mean, it's a quote, I don't know who said it exactly, but I'm a pretty, pretty big advocate of that, where you want to make sure those people that you are surrounded with are the right type of people who are going to support you. Mm. Now, you know. if, it was, if it was me saying this nicely, if this was COVID wasn't here, I would set you a challenge for a marathon to do. And that marathon is the London Marathon. That, you know, it's funny you say that because I saw London and Paris are each a month apart. Mm. 
Um, and I, it, I, I, that has been one that is on my radar. It'll probably be when my student loans are closer to paid off. But uh, at the same time, yeah, I would love to do the London Marathon. Oh my gosh, that would like, and if it was possible to do both of them, I would love. To, but yeah, I would say London's my first choice because I just I've been to England twice and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, that's what yeah. I would recommend. You know, I've seen enough of it on the TV and I just think how amazing everyone does it. And then when you've gone past the athlete stage and you've got the real people dressed up yep. all yeah, and they pay some money for the charities, you think, wow. But obviously you don't know the full story of why they're doing it for that charity. But you think, wow, they're doing something. And that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like And like you said, Dave, like, it's kind of like the first, the top 10, 20, 5, or 5% are your Olympic style quality athletes. And then there's everybody else, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and then, you know, like, but I'm, and again, I'm more one who's toward the, toward the back. I get to know a lot of people toward the back. And one of the cool things I will say is um, because I am slower, even though I've done, you know, a number of them, I get to know a lot the people who are running their first marathon. And for me, I've, I'm blessed to say I've been able to support a lot of those people because it's like that, that's their goal is just to run one. And that's so cool to be a part of that where you, you know, when I tell, you know, I can recall people and they say, Oh, is this your first marathon? And I mean, I said, well, if I'm being honest, no, this is my third in three months. And they look at me like, what is wrong with you? And I, you know, and then I ask them, is this your first one? It's like, yeah, it is. And then you get to know them though, because of the fact that, they don't know what it's like to run one because they never have, but like I, just to be there to support them and say, don't worry, you got this. If you have to walk, you can walk. If you need to like speed walk, if you have to stretch, I said, I'm here for you. If you need to talk, just let me know. I said, it, so it's kind of cool for me to, to help some of those people who are going to run their first marathon and maybe their only one and just kind of encourage them across the finish line. When you see them at the finish line with their family and their support. And it's like, it's a cool feeling. It really is. It's like a quote I came across when I was, well, I'm 37 and I left school when I was 16. But there's a quote that was always stuck with me in the mind as a poem. But the last bit always says, the person who wins is the person who thinks he can. So it's not about ultimately winning. It's about the mindset of thinking will Mm -hmm. always make you win. And I've always believed that ethos that anything you do, doesn't have to be a sprint or a run. Do it in the right frame of mind and the right speed. You'll get there regardless. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, I've I have had friends who who've asked me, you know, and I say, oh, I, I I finished my marathon, and they say, did you win? I said, yeah, I'm only competing against myself. So yeah, I won. As far as I'm concerned, now am I going to get a winner's check? No. Do I care? No. I mean, would it be nice? Yeah, of course it would be nice. But at the same time, I'm. My big thing is I'm competing against me. I just want to finish. That's my goal. You know, arrive alive. That's my motto. I'm 21 for 21, knock on wood, and hopefully continues on after that. <laughs> you know, so so really, like, you know, for a lot of people, you know, they might say, oh, did you win? I said, well, if I won, you probably wouldn't see much of me because I'd probably be in Colorado training. I would probably be somewhere else running all the time. And, but no, I mean, for me, it's just finishing is winning. 
And that's the way I look at it. I don't care what my time is. I finished last in a marathon once, David. In fact, it was right after both of my, both of my grandparents passed away. I used it as therapy. I was, I promised my wife I'd never do that again because I really didn't train for it. So um, it was very little training for it, but it was just something I needed to do in their honor and their memory. And I finished last, absolute last, but I was like, you know what? I still finished and I was okay with that. I mean, for the most part, I finished, you know, not last. I've always, that's the only one, but, um, but yeah. So for me, it's just a matter of completing the task that you put in front of you. And if that's like, for me, if that's a marathon it, at one point in time, it was just getting out of bed. Like really, that was my toughest task. That was my marathon was just getting out of bed, going to the bathroom and maybe making a cup of coffee. That was my marathon. And then it was like, all right, I'm going back to sleep. Now, you know, um, it's, it's accomplishing other goals. Like I said, like my, my doctorate was always been a, a goal of mine. Um, you know, being able to help other people, uh, like I've been on service trips all throughout Central America because I speak Spanish. So I was helped to serve as an interpreter and, and talking with a lot of the people that I met in those countries, um, either who had never gone to school themselves, like and when I say never to school, never to kindergarten or like barely had any education it really puts a lot of perspective on what's important in life. Because when, as a teacher, when I, when I hear kids like, you know, say, I don't want to go to school today. I say, you know what? I have, I know people in El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Mexico, they give an arm and a leg to trade with you. If you want to go down and bring them up, they'll, they'll appreciate it. And trust me, they will, they will sleep here if they could. In fact, you know, as far as just soaking up all the information that's in the school, it, it's just a lot of perspective. You know, and, and it's kind of changed my perspective on just, I like to call certain things first world problems. Like if, if we have a power outage, you know, and, you know, I can understand it could be frustrating. I was like, you know, what? that's a first world problem. <laughs> I said, it is what, like, cause we have power, we have power to lose. They don't have power to lose, you know, or if, uh, you know, there's no school, for example, for some reason. Okay. Well, that's a first world problem because in certain parts of the world, there is no school to have. It, there's no opportunity. So it, you know, for me, I, I kind of have seen things through different eyes and sometimes it's, it's just kind of, it's cool to, to take a step back and really, you know, see what's important. Like, is this a life or death situation? And that's kind of what depression kind of taught me when I overcame. It's like, is what I'm getting frustrated about a life or death situation? Is it really that important? If it isn't, then why am I complaining? <laughs> You know, then it's kind of like take a step. So, so that's that's one thing that's kind of done. And and then I, I go usually play with the dogs or my cat or something. <laughs> and they, they you know then they're pretty good about cheering me. Or I'll listen to music. I love music. Like yeah, I, I have you know you know music's been music. Too. Yeah, like music. It's very um, especially certain music. Like it depends on the mood I'm in. Like if I'm training for for a race, then the music I listen to could be totally different than what I'm doing. Like if I'm just trying to relax, like, um, like if it's, if I'm list, if I'm training for a race, I might have welcome to the jungle by guns and roses. I might have cashmere by Led Zeppelin on. I might have uh, who are you by the who, like just pumping me up. Like, okay, I'm getting through this and I don't care what it, if I'm looking to relax, it might be something that like you built the city on rock and roll or something by, you know, um, starship or by uh, King of wishful thinking by go West or so just, uh, I love Hall and Oates. I uh, love Chicago, like um, bands like that. Um, Brian Adams, I like so, it, but that might be just stuff where I just sit here and just, you know, and just relax. 
So it, it's, or it might be even be classical music. When I mean like Beethoven, Mozart, something where I can just breathe and almost meditate a little bit and just, you know, take deep breaths, relax, get my heart rate down and just get back at it again. Well, because I've experienced depression and anxiety myself, I always find a happy medium now listening to Van Gelis. Oh, now, yeah. Van, now, Van Gelis is known for, and I will use the allergy here because you've done it, Chants of Fire, which is a theme to someone doing something in the running perspective. Now, when you hear Chants of Fire and you actually see the actual video, Yes, you do see Fangelis on the keyboard, whatever, but mm -hmm. you don't see any music in front of him. And when you see the actual, what he uses, he's using a projector of the mm -hmm. film, no sound, and he's using his mind just to create what he sees in front of him. Yeah. And, but, you know, he's very shy, he's very, very withdrawn, he's a very non-public person, and I'd put that down to depression and anxiety as well, but it's just amazing how he can come up with such beautiful music mm -hmm. just from looking at pictures or videos that's got no sound. Yeah. No, no. I, it's like, I, I oftentimes say like music is really like one of the languages of the world because it doesn't matter where you come from, but you can, it can speak words that only like that anyone can understand. It doesn't matter if you are, from Spain, if you're from France, from Japan, like music can really transcend all languages, you know, and that's, you know, my two, I, I just strongly believe that. And, and certain songs mean, I mean, like, you know, you hear a certain song, we might hear the same song, David, and, and it might, you might get a different feeling than I get, you know, about that same song. And, and because of whatever memories you have, like, you know, and, and that's, it's kind of neat in that respect. So mm. it's like I was listening to the radio station on the phone earlier to the old radio station I used to volunteer for in England. Now I asked for this a couple of weeks ago, so I knew it was coming up, but at seven o'clock in the morning and it was 12 o'clock there. And he said, this song's playing now for David and I'm thinking, thanks. And I will applaud him for playing it. But it was Avicii wake me up. Now, the thing behind that, I used to be his junior producer of his show. And we used to go every week play Avicii wake me up. For mm. Oh, and yeah, it's a great song. And because it was 7 o'clock American time, it just brought back the memory. I said, it feels like I'm doing breakfast again with show with you because you're right. playing Oh, for sure. Oh, it's such a good song, too. Such and, a good song. Yeah. Even the video of that, because obviously it's about a girl who lips out at the middle of the night just to go to this party. But the point is, when you hear the words, that's what makes the images better, I think. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. Like, it just speaks to who you are. It speaks to the person. Yeah. And, know, that and, is what, and that is what it's about. Sadly, he's gone, but to some of his songs, he had the right sort of notes, and I know he had, I think it's I forgot who sang the actual words, but just the music with the words, just it's. Yeah, I, that wasn't Aloe Blank, was it? No. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, Aloe Blank? Is yeah. that who? I, was, I wasn't 100% sure, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you listen to the original, and then you listen to the upbeat, you got the two comparisons again. Yeah. So, no, true. So true. 
It's like another example of two versions of songs. Evan by Brian Adams. DJ Sammy released it. Mm-hmm. Two different meaning songs. Oh, yeah. But, meaning, yeah. but one was slow, one was upbeat. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen him perform that in concert, actually. Oh, he was fantastic. Brian Adams, that is. Yeah. We saw him perform uh, in upstate New York. Actually, where Woodstock was. Where Bethel Woods, um, where Woodstock, the actual original Woodstock was, there's a a um, outdoor concert arena now. Um, and, oh, it's beautiful there. It's, I mean, it's so nice. There's a museum there and the whole bit. My wife and I have gone up to see a couple shows. Um, Brian Adams was one of them. We saw Hart perform up there with Cheryl Crow. Um, just, oh, it's fantastic. Fantastic. So, Jim, if you was to give a message to the viewers and listeners now, I say viewers and listeners, because mm-hmm. this will be on YouTube and the podcast. Sure. What, what message would you give to someone who would be listening or watching this now? What would you say to them now? Um, the, really, the big thing is don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Have faith in yourself. Um, surround yourself with people who are truly, who truly care about you, um, who truly will support you. Um, because those are the people who you're going to find out in a hurry who is going to be there for you for the long haul. But, uh, but really don't lose faith, faith in yourself. Don't lose faith in God that, you know, he, I really believe, you know, he will, he'll support, but you, you need to, to reach out. You have to know it's almost like any relationship you have to, you have to talk, <laughs> you know, in the other words, it, it's not just going to magically happen. Like my experiences, it was a lot of praying. And I tell you, the moment that happened the next day, it seemed like, you know, people would say, oh, that was like magic or coincidence. And that was not a coincidence. <laughs> that was not a coincidence. I mean, I, I know what I saw and I will never forget it for the rest of my life. But, um, but yeah, don't lose faith in yourself. Don't lose faith, you know, in, in what you can overcome because I mean, and I, when I say this, I say it like humbly because really, as far as I'm concerned, David, like if it weren't for my friends, for my support, for God, like I wouldn't be here. So you can't, you know, your goal may not be to finish a hundred marathons. Your goal might not be to get your doctorate, you know, in education, but your goal might be to have a family. It might be to, to have a certain type of job. It might be to live comfortably. It might be to travel. Those are cool. That's, those are cool things. And you can do that. I said, just, just remember, like, stay away from the drugs and from the alcohol um, because that's, that's not going to take you down the right path. You know, I, I was fortunate that my, I blessed that, my parents didn't have, you know, any sort of weapon that I could have used that they, I was blessed that they, um, I never, they always were there to support me. So I didn't have never used drugs, never used alcohol, like not as a youth, like I might have a, a social drink here or there now, but it wasn't anything that I could form an addiction because I didn't have any thing to become addicted to. I don't, if that makes any sense. So if you are, if you are like, get help because it's okay. There are people out there that, that want to help. Um, I mean, when I told my, my, my doctor about the depression and I was all nervous and she was like, Jim, trust me, you're not the first who's told me about depression and you're definitely not going to be the last. He said, she said, don't worry. Like, please. I have heard, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've had on my patients who have depression or anxiety or, or ADHD or some form of, of a mental health challenge. So she's not the only doc. Every doctor has heard that, you know, in some way, shape or form. There's so many counselors out there who are true, really good people who want to help and, and let them help. You don't have to tackle this by yourself. 
you don't have to tackle them. And if you have any pets at home, make sure you give them a lot of love because they want to give you the same love back, you know, <laughs> for furry angels, as I like to call them. But yeah, and, and get out and exercise. And exercise doesn't have to be running. Go for a walk around the block. Go for a mile walk. That's really it. Like, just do that. You'll feel so much better the moment you walk in the door. That's one thing I struggle with now because we have so much snow outside. And because of the COVID, I choose not to go to the gym because it's just, I don't want to put anyone into danger. So my challenges, my anxiety has been up because I have this energy that I want to get out, but I, I can't get it out, you know? So that's one thing I struggle with, you know, and hopefully when it stops snowing, then maybe I'll get outside or something along those lines. And, and all our teaching is done for the time being virtual because of the snow. So I can't even walk around my school, <laughs> you know? So, you know, so, so really, but get out and exercise. It could be a mile a day. Find that person that you can talk to that you're, com- you're comfortable with too, that, that isn't going to try to fix things for you, but is just going to listen. Yeah. You know, I know I've kind of given a lot to you, so sorry. To- no, it's good. And I like it. And that's what the listeners, viewers will like. So I appreciate it for that. But Jim, it's been a pleasure. May your journey continue in good form. Thank you, David. From where you are, it is going to be going stronger. And I believe it will. Thank you. When I stop recording, I will quickly have a quick word for you. Sure, sure. But thank you for being part of the journey. We hope it inspires people similar to you, similar to what you said, because like I said, every journey and inspiration is worth listening to. So thank you again. And um, thank you for giving me the opportunity. And may God bless you. And may may every success come to you. And to you as well. Thank Thank you.